class, I guess would technically be appropriate for next week's Parsha um, in some ways. And that said, it's also in some ways relevant to the entire book of Devarim. Um, and what I mean by that is as follows. If you recall, last time we studied, which was two weeks ago, last week was Tisha B'Av, two weeks ago, we spoke about the themes of Devarim. We spoke about what this book is all about, okay? And one of the things that we, we touched upon briefly is that many commentators conceptualize the purpose, the function of this book is about the people entering Israel. If you want to understand why some of the messaging is a little bit different about the same mitzvah that might be said in an earlier book, it said differently in Devarim, so some commentators will say the reason it's said differently is because the focus is not uh, abstract and the focus is not just in general, but it's particular to the people who are going to enter the land of Israel. That is the focus. So if you want to give a, a subtitle to, you say, the Sefer, Devarim, or the book of Deuteronomy, the subtitle is the book of those entering Israel. Okay, fine. That's how we're going to conceptualize the book of Devarim. Now, what is the most important place? So what is Exodus? Exodus is about the people leaving, uh, leaving Egypt, right? They're, they're not even close to Israel in the book of Exodus, right? Um, that's right. This is, again, right? So Exodus is more about their leaving, and then, right? And here, here it's specifically, it's focused on the people who are entering the land of Israel and all the warnings and all the promises and everything, but it's all revolving around the land of Israel, okay? Now, if you were to write a book about Israel, what would be the first chapter? Jerusalem. Yerushalayim. Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem is the most important place in Israel, hands down, right? Always was, always will be, right? So it's, right, that, that's what we would presume would happen. What's interesting is that nowhere, nowhere in the book of Devarim, this book which is targeting those who are entering the land of Israel, is there any mention of Yerushalayim, which is shocking. There are other cities that are mentioned by name, but Yerushalayim is the one city that is not mentioned my name. I'm sorry? Yes. Okay. Yeah. A hundred percent. Okay. okay. Um, right. So it's interesting. It's interesting. I'd be, I'd be scratching my head a little bit trying to understand why that is so. So the reason I say that, so this is a question in general for the entire book of Zvarim. Why is Yushalayim not, and, and for the record, I want to be clear. There is mention of a temple. There is mention of a Beis HaMikdash. There is mention of bringing offerings to God in a very specific location, but the location is not mentioned by name. So again, it's not that there's no mention of the most significant uh, feature of Yerushalayim, which is, again, the temple, the base of Migdash. It's just that the name, the city, is not, it's never named, it's never said explicitly. Okay? Strange, am I the only one who's bothered by this? It's, it's weird, right? If you're, right? Okay, so, so the, the reason I say that it's relevant to next week is because next week, it's the most glaring. Because in next week's Parsha, we'll read, and here's the first passage you'll find in front of you in Devarim 12. Um, this is, again, from next week's Parsha. So this is hold, hold us over for next week as well, right? Even though we're not having a class. So here you'll see why it's the most glaring next week. Because this is what, this is what the Torah says. The, the Hebrew on top, English on bottom. Okay? These are the laws. These are the rules which you should keep, which you should observe and do in the land. Again, this is a book for those going into the land. The land which God gave you as an inheritance. All of the time, all of the days which you live on the land. Okay, so first thing you need to know is to destroy all of the places which were dedicated to worship of 
the nations. In other words, the first thing they're supposed to do is that it's, it's uh, the, all the idolatry, any, any shrines that were designated for idolatry are expected to be removed. Okay, um, the, the, the nations which you are coming to, to inherit. Um, their gods. In other words, get rid of their gods. Al-Haharim Haramim. Valagvos, Vitachas Kol Eitzranan. The 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 it gives a number of locations where you'll find these idols on the mountains, on the hills, or any under any tree. Now it's interesting this mention of tree. This is just parenthetical. It's not really our focus. But in the land of Israel and the Middle East, the most popular form of idolatry in the ancient world. Anyone know what know what it was called? It was called Baal. Okay, Baal uh, was a form of idolatry. Um, and it was, it was almost, it was like, uh, it was complementary with another, another form of idolatry called Asherah. And basically what it was, was a praying for rain to go ahead and make trees grow. Okay. That was a major form of worship in the land of Israel. And throughout the books of the prophets, you'll find the, uh, many mentions of serving idols under the tree. And it's a reference to these trees, uh, that were a form of worship. The reason, and the reason I mention this because it's, it's interesting to me, um, the reason that that is such a prime form of worship in the land of Israel, anyone want to take a guess as to why? Why is trees and rain the, the, the thing that you serve in Israel? Crops? Yeah, exactly. In other words, that's what they were dependent on. For example, by contrast, the Philistines who lived on the, on, on, uh, where Gaza is basically, you know, they lived on the banks, not... The, okay, this ancient group, which no longer exists, the Philistines, they, what was their prime worship? Something called Dagan. Dagan from the word fish, because they were people who spent their time at sea, right? So obviously, oftentimes the idols would be revolving around the things that they would be engaging with. If you were living in the Middle East, you were dependent on rain to help cultivate your crops, it would make sense that you're worshiping the rain, worshiping the trees, and that's why over here there's this mention of Eitzra'anan, a luxuriant tree, okay? Vinitatstem is mizbechosam, verse 3. You should cut down their, their altars, vishibartem is matsevosam, you should break their, uh, their pillars, vashereham, um, and again, ashera is a type of, uh, type of idol, tisrifun be'esh, you should burn them in fire, ufsile elohem tegadeun, and the, the masks or the images of their gods you should, you should cut down, vi'ibadetem eshemam in amakam who and erase their name from this place. Okay, so first law, get rid of all foreign worship. And then, and here's where, where, we're, where we're getting to, Lo don't destroy, you know, a temple or, a, or an altar made for God. Okay, verse 5, Ki im el hamakom asher yivchar Hashem elokechem mikol shivtechem, but only to the place which God, your God, chooses from amongst all your tribes, Lasum Eshemosham to place his name there, Lishichno to, to reside, for his name to reside there, Tidrashu, you should seek it out, Uvasashama, you should go there. Okay, so this verse 5, and this is really what I wanted to focus on, over here the Torah is telling us, God's saying, destroy all the foreign shrines, the foreign temples, the only place you should go is the place which God will choose from your tribes, for God to place his name there, and there you should, there you should seek it out, you should go there. That's the place you should go. And again, so there's an explicit mention of a temple. God is saying, we're going to destroy their temples. You're going to go to my temple. But what's missing is the name. Where? Where? Give me some location. Give me geography, right? God says, to the place that I choose from your tribes. Fascinating and shocking that it's not there in the book of Devarim. Yes. I'm sorry? Okay, it may not have been called Yerushalayim. That's, that's debatable. We'll see soon. 
describes it as such. But even so, and that, that's fair. It could be that we wouldn't call it Yerushalayim. It could be that they would give it another name. But even still, let's give it that name. Why is, why is there like this mystery game over here? If you're reading Devarim, you're left scratching your head. Where's the place that God wants to reside? Right? Why, why leave it to guesswork? It just seems like a, an ex, a strange omission. To your point of King David, of David, of David HaMelech, if you look now, we're going to read another section. This is really where, this is the first time where Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, gets introduced. And that's the second section on this first page you have over here. And this is immediately after David, or as David becomes the king of Israel. Let's just do a quick summary of uh, the history of David HaMelech, of King David. And that is that initially he is at odds with Shaul HaMelech, King Saul, right? And eventually Shaul dies. Um, and David HaMelech, you know, although he's, he's initially really uh, only a king for the people of his tribe, the people of Judea, eventually, eventually, as we're going to read in this passage over here, all the tribes come to David, to King David, David HaMelech, and they say, we want you to be king. So what we're about to read is the moment where all the tribes come to David HaMelech, to, to King David, and they say, we want you to be king. Let's see what happens as they come to him and request for him to be king. Okay, so let's read that passage together. Here we are in the book of Shmuel, the book of Samuel, Perak Hey, Pasuk Aleph. So, Vayavokal Shifti Yisrael David, Chevrona. All the tribes, meaning representatives of all the tribes, come to Chevron. Vayomru Lamer, and they say, Hinenu Atzmecha Uvisarcha Anachnu. We are your flesh and blood, essentially. They come and they say, David, you are our relative. We're one and the same. Gam esmol gam shilshom. This was true yesterday and the day before. Bio Shaul, Malach Aleinu. Even when Shaul was the king, Ata, you, David, David Malach, Hayisa Hamotziva, Mavis Yisrael, you were the one who would bring us out and bring us in. In other words, he was the, again, he was a warrior and he was a great general. He was the one who led the Jews in, in war. So here are the tribes, the leaders of the tribes are coming to David Amelach and they're saying, we were always with you. You were always our king. Now, this is uh, what we'll call political talk. This is not entirely true. David was, uh, was a re- like a fugitive for a while, but they are trying to make good. This is what you do. This is, you know, they're saying, we always, we always saw you as our king. Okay, fine. This is what they're saying. Okay. Vayomer Hashem lecha. And we know that God told you, Atta Siras Amias Yisrael, you should shepherd my nation, Israel. The Atta Tila Nagida Yisrael, and you should be a ruler over the Jewish people. Okay, verse 3, Pasakimel Vayavo, Kozikne Yisrael, Elamelech Hevrona. And all the elders of Israel come to the king in Hevron. Vayichros Lehem Hamelech David, Bris Bechevron, Lifne Hashem. And they made a covenant, right? So now the people all come to David. They say, hey, David Hamelech, we want you to be our king. And they make a covenant. Vayimshachu as David Lamelech al Yisrael. And they anoint him. They pour oil over his head. That was the way of, uh, that was the official process. They anoint him with oil as a way of making him, that's the ceremony to make him king. Okay, now the, the Torah continues. Verse 4. Ben Shloshim Shana David Vimalcho. David was 30 years old when he became king. Kind of young, right? Va'arbaim Shana Malach. And he ruled for 40 years. Okay, he became king when he was 30 and he ruled for 40 years. Bechevron Malach al Yehuda Sheva Shanim Chadashim. He ruled, his, his capital was in Chevron for seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem he ruled for 33 years over all of Israel and over Yehuda. So let's pause here for one second. And for you, those following in English, you can turn the page. Um, what, what we're just, let, let's, let's keep, bear in mind the following. Where is Hebron? Okay? Hebron is, is in the territory of the tribe of Yehuda. Okay? So in the ancient, if you were to look at an old map, like I'm talking like a 2,500-year-old map, and it shows you where the tribes would live, 
Hebron or Hebron is the city where the people of the tribe of Yehuda lived. David was from the tribe of Yehuda. So initially, before everyone came around to seeing him as the king, he just ruled over the people of Judah. Okay? And his capital was Hebron. Okay? Make sense? Now, at this juncture, they all come to him and say, Hey, we want you to be king. And at this moment, as we're about to read, he travels to Shalayim and he establishes his throne. That becomes his new capital. Okay? This is the first time, again, this is the first time we're hearing about Yerushalayim. And, and let's see what happens. Let's see exactly, it describes how it happens. Um, let's look, if again, if you're following in the Hebrew, it's verse Vav, 6. Vayelech hamelech v'anash Yerushalayim. And the king and his people travel to Yerushalayim. El hayavusi hayoshe v'aretz. To the Jebusites. This is a, a, a foreign tribe that was living in the land. Vayomer le David lemar. And, uh, and they said to David, saying, Lo savo heina. Okay, a bit of a cryptic statement, but basically uh, they said you will not be able to get inside. Even the blind and the lame will turn you back. What does that mean, even the blind and the lame will turn you back? Meaning this city is impenetrable. Even if it's guarded by people who can't see, even if it's guarded by people who can't walk, you still can't get in. That's what they told David. You can't conquer Yerushalayim. Okay, so keep in mind, at this point, the Jewish people have been living in the land of Israel for hundreds of years, okay, but the city of Jerusalem was still not in their uh, domain. It was not, it was not, it was, it was, it was, in, it was controlled by the Jebusites, the Yavusim. It was not a Jewish city just yet. Okay, so let's see what David does. Vayomer, Vayilko David, um, verse 7, Es Sion, he ear David. So David immediately goes ahead and he conquers uh, the Tower of Sion, which is called the City of David, okay, and then David made a proclamation on that day. Anyone who defeats the Jebusites. Anyone who's able to go ahead and conquer, uh, attack the Jebusites, conquer the Jebusites, and reach the water channel, there's a water channel in Yerushalayim, and is able to strike down those quote-unquote lame and blind people who are protecting the city, okay, um, basically, he's encouraging people to do so. He's making a proclamation. Who's going to go ahead and conquer Yerushalayim? Vayelech David, Vayeshev David, B'Metsuda, Vayikrula, Ir David. Okay, Vayiven David, Savmin, Amilo, Vavaisa. Okay, so basically it goes on to describe how he, he lived and he stayed in Ir David. But ultimately, what it goes on to describe is that at that, that moment that Yerushalayim is conquered by the Jewish people and David establishes Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, as his capital. Okay, so let's ask ourselves a very simple question. David becomes king. He has a throne. He has a place, a place that's his, a place that he's comfortable in. But he decides that's not a good idea. As soon as they come to him, the very first thing, right? There's always a lot of, you know, they say the first hundred days of the, what the president does is a big deal. But even more than the first hundred days, oftentimes what they'll focus on is if there's a new president, what is he, what's his first act? What's my first act as president? The first thing I'm going to do when I take over the office is... Dot, 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 right? Whatever, Lord, this, that, whatever it's going to be. But that's a bold statement. It's my first act, right? All the, every, the, listen to any presidential candidate right now, they're all telling you the first thing. Well, many of them have like five first things. So they're, depends who they're talking to, they'll tell you a different one. But, but the point is they're all claimed, the first thing is symbolic. It shows that this is, this is everything. So the first thing David does, they come to him, they say, David, we want you to be king. Sure. What he first does, he conquers Yushalayim and makes that his new base. Okay, so obviously Yushalayim is very significant. We know that. But it's interesting that that's the very first thing that King David does. 
Okay, and we'll come back to that observation, but the reason I mention that is twofold. One, it's the first time that we find that section we just read is the first time we find Yerushalayim being highlighted as the great city, as a city which should be the capital of Israel. It was not mentioned anywhere earlier as a capital of Israel. It's only now when David HaMelech becomes king and he, the first act that he does is conquer Yerushalayim and make it his capital. It's the very first time. So we have to understand um, you know, why it's not there until this point, right? Similar to our first question. And then B, we have to ask why is that the first thing that David HaMelech does? Okay, we'll come back to that question. Everyone still with me? We're basically on a little bit of a journey. What, what's the deal with Yerushalayim? Why is it missing from the Torah? Right? Why is it missing? That's the primary question we want to answer. Why is it missing from the Torah? And now we have this second mystery around King David, who is, the first thing he does is he conquers Yerushalayim. Why is that the first thing that he does? So let's take a step back, and I want to share with you a couple of different approaches in terms of why Yerushalayim. Okay? You all told me the most important place in, um, in Israel is Yerushalayim. But why? Why is it the most important place? What would you say? If someone say, hey, I, I heard for Jews that, that Yerushalayim is the most important place. Yes? The Holy of Holies is there. Good. So that would say that until the Holy... Good. So that means that until the base Hamigdash, until the temple was built and the Holy of Holies was there, it wouldn't necessarily be the most important place. But because those things took place there, it now becomes an important place. Good. That's fair. Um, and that would mean that historically, not just historically, but the land is almost, so to speak, saturated with holiness because of all the holy things that took place there. Like the same reason we go to the Western Wall, the Kotel, and, and pray there is because, because of what took place there, because of the history that was there and the, the history that's saturated in the stones. That's why it's important. Okay. That's one good, excellent approach. Yes. Okay, so it's in the middle. Now, it's interesting. It's, it, it, it is in the middle. Now, it's, it's, uh, it is in the middle of the land of Israel, more or less, right? If you were to look at a map of Israel, Jerusalem is more or less in the middle of Israel. Um, so that gives us, that could give a certain, certain sense of, of unity. Good, we'll come back to that point. Excellent. Any other thoughts? Any other things you've heard in the past? Okay. Sorry? Good, and that would also be something which is more historic. In other words, we built, you know, the, the base of Megdash, that was destroyed. They built a mosque, they built a church, you know, et cetera. Uh, but that would also be a historic piece. Is there anything that goes back beyond that? And the truth is our sources do suggest that there is something that even precedes the building of the base of Megdash and even precedes the tribes living in the land of Israel, right? So what you all described to me was more about the history of the history of worship in those places or strategy around unity. But some of our sources talk about things that took place there at an even earlier place. So if you look, I want to show you two sources over here under the heading of spirituality. And this is from the Medrash Tanchuma. The first source is from the Medrash. Uh, it begins by quoting a verse in Tehillim, which says, Mitzion, we're on the second page under spirituality and under Medrash Tanchuma. Mitzion michlal yofi elokim hofia. Out of Zion. Zion is another word for Yerushalayim. God has shined forth as the perfection, like as, as a perfection of beauty. Okay, what does that verse mean? That God shined forth from Jerusalem. What does that mean? So says the Medrash, Mitzion nishtachlil kol haolam kulo. That from Zion, from Yishalayim, the whole world developed. They translate perfect. I'll say it even better. The whole world developed. Kidatanina, as it's taught elsewhere. Lama nikre shma even shesia. Why is it called the foundation stone? Shemimena hushtasa olam. Because from that stone, the world was founded. And don't you ever hear of the Evan Shasia? Okay, so the Evan Shasia is a tradition we have that under the, where the base of Megdash is, and by the way, what do the, what do the Muslims call it? The Dome of the 
rock. There is a rock there. Okay, our tradition, and I don't know if that's the same tra- tradition as, as why they elevate it in, in Muslim, uh, in Islamic, uh, you know, traditions, but our tradition is that there is a rock in that place, which is seen as the kernel from which the entire world started. Okay, in other words, as I'll come to your question in one second, in other words, when God created the world, um, some source, some of our sources speak about almost like a big bang to some extent. The Ramban, Nachmanides, speaks about a little bit of matter that expanded uh, significantly. And that's how the world comes about. So where is that point? Where is that point? According to our tradition, or at least according to one Midrashic teaching, it, there, that means it's understood literally that if you were to say, what is the first point from which, through which all of the universe came about? That point is Yerushalayim and the stone that is under Evan Shasia. The word Shasia comes from the word, uh, the foundation. Hushtas uh, Olam, Shemana Hushtas Olam, the world was founded. And that's the significance. You ask, why is Yerushalayim so important? Why is that space so important? Yes, uh, the temple was built there. But you have to ask, why was the temple built there? Because of something that preceded, and that is that this is the center of the world. This is where, you know, when you think about the temple, you think about the base of Migdash, it's the place, you know, if you wanted to, the image that I always think of is that image in the Sistine Chapel, where, where man is reaching out, so to speak, other, you know, man is reaching out and God is reaching out, you know, that, that, that image, it's a very famous image, where, um, where basically there's, there's God, so to speak, depicted, again, we don't paint God like that, but basically God is reaching down and man is reaching up. And they're like almost reaching each other. That's the base. The base of Migdash is our connection. I'll come to your, come to your question in a second. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the nexus. It's the connection between heaven and earth. And it would make sense that God would build a temple on the place where it all began. Because this is where earth begins. This is where it all started. It all started on this place. And therefore, it makes sense. The spiritual connection between heaven and earth would be on this physical place. Yes? So, but it's also the place of the Akedah. Good, good, good. We're going to get to that point in a second. Sure Islam, excellent, excellent. We're going to come to that, that point as well. You'll come to, well, hold on one sec. Yes. I was wondering if it's the same place where Yaakov rested. And- good, 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 good. Both, both those points we're going to come to in one moment. Yes. I have three questions. First of all, the Holy of Holies, was that the Ten Commandments? When you say the, they had the Holy of Holies. So what we have a tr- so the Holy of Holies is a place in the temple where they stored the, the, the Ark. And in the Ark, one of the things that was in the Ark were the Ten Commandments. What Ark? The Ark of the Covenant. Correct. And what does that mean? It was a box, essentially. A box. Okay, so basically you have the temple, and in the temple there's a couple of different things. There's the menorah, there's other things, and then there's a back room, which is called the Holy of Holies. That's the most sacred place that's only entered once a year by the high priest. And in that place, in that place is a box. So the Ark of the, the Ten Commandments? So the Ten Commandments are in that box. Oh. Okay, um, so that's and that all took that was all built. That is the the temple all revolved around that the, that what's known as the holy that's of holies. Question number one, oh. two is it says here this is why they say no one who is blind or lame may enter the house. Mm-hmm. What what is that? So uh, without getting in too too deep into that, it, it's a it's it, it seems uh, cruel. Yeah, it's not to be understood literally. It's not. It's not. It's not a. It's not a dig on 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 handicapped people. That's it. It, it was. It was almost like a a, a, war, a a war of words that was used. That basically. It, it, that. No. So yeah, I, I, if you read it in the context again, I don't want to unpack this. I, I I realize it's distracting, and that's why I glossed over it deliberately. But but I just want to clarify. Um, it was. It was meant as an insult to King David that, that it was being the land that essentially said Jerusalem was being protected by, by quote unquote handicapped people. And so that became like a war of words, but it's not about handicapped people. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry? Sacrifices. 
Yes, yes. The animal has to be perfect, but us people are not. But yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Okay, so there are two points about the history of this place. So let's look at the Rambam, Maimonides. He writes as follows. If you look at the second source, I'm sorry, I didn't translate this part. He says, He says, There is a tradition that we all have. The place where King David and ultimately his son, Shlomo, built the altar in what was known as the granary of Arvan, Arvan, of Arvan which is basically the place where the base of Migdash, the temple, was. This is the place where Abraham built the altar and almost slaughtered his son, Yitzchak. And it's also the place where Noah built his offering after the flood. And it's also the place where Cain and Abel brought their offerings. It's the place where Adam brought a carbon, although it's not mentioned explicitly, where he brought a carbon uh, when he was created and he was created from that, that place. Amru fine. And, and further, and further, and further, um, this is the place where, as you mentioned earlier, that according to many, Yaakov also builds his altar in that place. So basically, the stone, the, the stone is in that place, correct? And all these things happen that that stone, and the, and the Muslims own that stone. How dare them? So this is, this is, so this is the, this is the, the correct. So the, the tradition is that there is a stone under this place. This is the place that, that we have, that we have this long history, both all the way back from Adam, from Adam and Noah and Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov. And, and they're all bringing, they're all doing things in those places. And, and yes, to your point, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's terribly sad that we don't have uh, the ability to, you know, we, uh, I want to mention halachically by Jewish law, because of our state of impurity, we can't necessarily walk there right now, but it is, a place where we have this our entire history revolved around this one place. This one place. Okay, so that's the Ram. So again, let's just review right now. The the Medrash is saying there's a spiritual reason. It's the place from which the entire world was created. The Rambam adds to that. The two are not exclusive to one another. He adds also there's an incredible amount of history. This is a place that humankind served God all the time. Now, he, he the Rambam asked the question that we asked earlier. If it's such an important place, then why throughout the entire book of Bereshis when it talks about all those offerings, does it not say this was done in Yerushalayim? Once again, we're back to our original question. If, I just, if we just said, not only is it the place the temple was built, but now we're saying it's also the place that the world started. It's also the place that, that Adam brought Karbanos, that Noah brought his offerings, that Avram brought his offer. Mention it by name. What's going on? What's with all the secrecy? It's very strange. So the Rambam is the first, I believe, who addresses this question. He writes as follows. Here's the, the last source on page two, the, the Rambam. The Rambam writes like this. Ha'echa, number one. One reason. She'umos lo tichzakena bo v'lo tzilachamena alav milchama kasha. So he says it's important. The reason that it's not mentioned explicitly is to ensure that the enemies of the Jewish people don't hold on to it and don't wage such a vicious war knowing how important it is to us. In other words, and think about it, think about it in modern times, right? Because Jerusalem is so important, the amount of blood that was spilled over Jerusalem over the past thousand years is immense, right? Look at the, you know, look at the Crusades, the Christians and the Muslims and the Christians and the Muslims and the Egyptians. And, uh, you know, uh, you know we, 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 if you read through the history of there, of the amount of people and the amount of different countries and, and nations which conquered and fought over, the la- over Jerusalem, it's, it's, in, it's, it's crazy. So what the realm I'm suggesting is that God wanted to prevent that. Had they known, had they known how critical this plot of land was, they wouldn't have, all the enemies of the nation of the Jews would have gathered together to defend the city. By not mentioning the city by name, 
it ensured that when King David wanted to conquer, which apparently was not so easy to begin with, it was doable because it wasn't, it didn't take on greater meaning. And that's why it wasn't mentioned explicitly. It's a fascinating explanation. He says, If they would know that this is the most important plot of land, then they would never allow King David to have conquered it. They would have fought so much more fiercely. They would have brought in all the backup. And therefore, strategically, the Torah omits the name of the land. Fascinating idea. Very, uh, I don't know, fascinating idea. Hasheni, the second reason, B, so that the people who were then in possession of it shouldn't destroy that piece of land. Let's again use a modern day application. There is a tomb. There's a burial place called as the, the tomb of Yosef Hatzadik. One of the tribes is Yosef. We have a tradition that is burial place in a certain place in Israel. It's in, I think, Nablus. Okay, a very dangerous Arab area. Every once in a while, every once in a while, they will go, people will go ahead and to complete desecrate the tomb. They will make a complete, you know, it's not protected so strongly because of its location. And every once in a while, you'll read in the news, unfortunately, um, some Arab hooligans went ahead and completely desecrated the place, lit the place on fire, broke as much as they could, etc. Why are they doing so? They know how important it is to us, and it's their way of fighting back. So again, in a similar vein, the Rambam's saying, had they known how important it is, even if they would have lost the war, what, have they, what would they do? They destroy the place. They make a mess out of the place because they would try as best as possible to prevent us from establishing as a, as a city. Okay. The third. Vashlish is the third reason. Vuachazak shebahem. And this is the most important. And the true, the, the strongest explanation. In order to ensure that no particular tribe will really want it to be in their place. And they'll fight over it. And to prevent division, discord, arguments, and fights as there was such a fight around the priesthood. In other words, if everyone would know from day one, okay, imagine yourself, you're at the banks of the Jordan. You're about to enter the land of Israel. And now they're dividing up the lands, okay? You're in the tribe of Dan, you're going to get this land. You're in the tribe of God, you're going to get this land. You're in the tribe of you know, Shimon, you're going to get this land. And everyone knows the real deal. Everyone knows the place we all want to have in our land is Jerusalem, right? So had they known that, it would have been a huge fight. It would have been a huge fight, right? They would have fought over, the Jewish people would have fought one with the other because they all would have wanted it to fall in their place. And we know that this is, that took place. When, when the kuhuna, when the priesthood was established, what happens? Korach creates this tr- tremendous rebellion because he wants, the, he wants to be the high priest, right? So similarly over here, if everyone knew how significant Yerushalayim was at the time of the division of the land, there would have been huge fights and huge arguments. Mm-hmm. So what does God do? He doesn't tell them where his base of English is going to be. Everyone settles in their lands. Okay, now they've been living in their land for hundreds of years, and now it's time to build a base of Migdash. Okay, life goes on. We missed out, right? But whereas had they known from the get-go, it would have been a different story. Right? They would have caused all these arguments. Right? So the Rambam's answer to our question is by suggesting uh, that um, he's suggesting that the, the reason it's not told is A, to prevent the, the, the enemies of the Jews to either protect the city, to destroy the city, and to prevent arguments amongst the Jewish people. Okay? Um, I would just add, so again, according to this whole approach, what is the significance of Yushalayim? Its significance is it's a spiritual place. It's a place where the world started, and it's a place where all these great acts 
Avraham almost slaughtering the Kedas Yitzchak, the binding of Isaac, and, and Noah's offering, and the offerings of Cain and Abel, they all took place there. It's a place of great spirituality and a proof. A proof to this point um, is uh, something the Kliakar, so if you turn to the third page, the Kliakar writes, um, um, you know, skip the Kliakar, we'll skip that, but I'll just, I'll just point out two, two proofs, I'm not say proofs, but two supports to this idea that Jerusalem was chosen for spiritual reasons alone. When you think about where Jerusalem is situated, it's actually not near, there's two main trade routes in, 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 in Israel. Israel was a very strategic location, uh, which made it part of, which was part of the reason that it was, it was fought over very often. But there are two major trade routes and neither of them passed through Jerusalem, right? Usually when you think of the big cities in your, in your, in your, uh, in any, in any country, right? Where the big cities over here, it's the cities where, you know, New York and maybe LA, these are places where a lot of the business is taking place. And now when, you know, when San Francisco takes off because of uh, all the high tech, then San Francisco becomes the big place, right? So it's, it, if, if, if the goal was your typical capital would be a place where much of the business takes place, and that's not the case over here, right? Um, it's not surrounded by uh, natural resources, nor is it by the main trade routes, right? So it's not a place which is easy to live. There's not a lot of natural resources in, near Jerusalem, um, near is it near, nor is it near the main trade routes, which would seem to support the fact that it is a religious, there's religious significance in Jerusalem, okay? That's one approach. I'm sorry. Yes. No, I never thought that, that when you have to do like Tashla, there's no place to really go. Yes, yes. Yerushalayim yeah. is very hard, right? There's so not... That's right. That's right. So they could, they could, they for trade, right? Think of, uh, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. That's right. That's right. Um, one, one other approach, a more modern approach that some suggest, um, I think someone touched upon it over here, and that is for security reasons. Some suggest that it actually made sense to be the capital more because it was a, you're able to kind of protect yourself in Jerusalem. Meaning, and I wish I would, I should have brought a map, but there is the Kidron Valley to the east, a valley. You know, valleys are always good for uh, protection because if there's a valley, you could always, enemies are in the valley. You just rain down with your arrows and catapults, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you have uh, another valley uh, to the west, and then you have what is known as the Hinnom Valley, uh, Gay Hinnom Valley. Actually, they just, they just created the longest suspension bridge in Israel. Uh, was just uh, built over this valley. Uh, it's a valley, it's actually Hinnom or Gay. It's called Gay, which means the Valley Hinnom of Hinnom. Uh, this is actually where the word Gehenna comes from, right? We have a tradition that this is, whatever this means, that, that Gehenna, that, that the purgatory is there, or whatever that means. Um, so it's this, you literally could, could walk over the valley of the shadow of death. Like this is the this, this is suspension bridge. It's a very long suspension, suspension bridge over this valley that was just finished this past week. Uh, but anyway, the point is Yerushalayim is surrounded by valleys. It's elevated above them, which makes for a great strategic location. So we have one approach which says, no, it's all about spirituality. Another approach which says it's all about security. And then I want to share with you a third approach, which you touched upon earlier, and that is about unity, bringing the Jewish people together. And here's a passage from the Malbim. The Malbim is a later commentator. And again, I apologize, I didn't translate this, but he writes as follows. Um, it's, it's under the source unity and the Malbim. I'll read it slowly. Um, so this is his commentary. This, the Malbim is, is, a, is a later commentary, and he's commenting on the passage we just read from uh, about King David. He says, Achar sha'ata, his achdu Yisrael. Now that the two parts of Israel came together, keep in mind, as long as King David and Shaul were both alive, there was friction. Even after Shaul died, there was still friction. The Jewish people were not united. It took years until they finally said, you know what? Let's, let's rally around David, King David. And that was the passage we just read. So in that passage, we finally find the two kingdoms coming together. Okay. Shahayu ad Atta, Shevet Yehuda, Tachas David. Okay. Until this point, they had all, the tribe of Judah was under King David. 
V'yeser hashvatim u'binyamin shevet shal barosham tachas ishboshas. And the rest of the tribes were under Shaul and Shaul's son. By the way, when King Saul died, the kingdom continued with his son. His name was Ishboshas. And which tribe was Shaul from? The tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. Okay? Vishavu kulam lemalchus achas tachas dav. Now, at that moment that we just read a few moments ago, that's when the two kingdoms come together to be one. Hayam bin this was strategic. And so too was the will of God. Shi'ir hamalucha tia bigvul hashayach lishnei hashvatim shayushivte malchus. That the, that, the, that the border, that the place of the, the capital should be on the border between the two ruling classes. There was the tribe of Yehuda, which was David HaMelech. There was the tribe of Benjamin, which was Saul, Shaul, and his son Ishboshes. And it would make sense to pick a capital that really brings them together, that shows that the people are really one. Right? Remember, Hebron was in Judah. It's in the section of Yehuda. Yerushalayim, is, he says, This was in Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim is actually not in one tribe's location. Yerushalayim is actually on, on the border of two tribes. Yerushalayim, the city, if you were to, you could draw a line in the middle of Yerushalaym, not really the middle, but you could draw a line within Yerushalayim. Part of it will be to the tribe of Benyamin. Part of it will be to the tribe of Yehuda. Okay? Um... Okay, so let's, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's just understand this. So basically what he's describing, he's saying the reason, the reason that Yushalayim was chosen at this time, he's saying, it wasn't necessarily about anything that took place in the past. It wasn't necessarily that there was any spiritual significance to the place. It wasn't that Avram, that the world was created from there necessarily. It wasn't that, that, that Karbanos took place there necessarily. Again, the Torah never tells exactly where it is. So the Malvim's saying, maybe yes. Maybe no. I don't know if there is a history in that place. But you know why it was chosen? It was chosen to bring the Jewish people together. Actually, in our country over here, you know, if you know the history of why they chose Washington, D.C., it's more or less the same thing. They, wanted, they specifically wanted to pick a location between North and South, right? And this was the location which was seen as a place where you know, both would seem, okay, again, maybe it went a little too far this way, but it was a place that they tried to find a place, right? Philadelphia was a natural choice, but Philadelphia was a northern city in every way, shape, and form. So the next place down was, that was why Washington was chosen as a place kind of bordering the two, the north and south, to try to attempt to keep the people together, right? Similarly, Yehuda and Benjamin were the two leading tribes at the time. They each had kings of their own. Now they're coming together. Suggest the Malbim, it's brought together in Yerushalayim. According to this approach, there was no designated place. To our question that we asked earlier, why is Yerushalayim not mentioned? What the Malbim would say is because it wasn't chosen. We assume Yerushalayim was always chosen. That's why we were bothered by this question. When I started, I led you on, so to speak. I said, Yerushalayim was clearly the place that was always supposed to be the place where the temple is going to be. According to the Malbim, maybe not. God says there will be a place that will be chosen. But maybe it wasn't already chosen. Maybe it wasn't there was this place and we were whispering it once the other didn't want to have it written. According to the Malbim, there was no location. And it was only when the people came together and said, this is our location, then God gave a stamp of approval and said, okay, and it's for good reason. And why is it so significant? For unity alone. That is the approach of the Malbim. Yes? Maybe that's the, maybe it's the same reason why Arsenai remains a mystery. The location of Arsenai. We never know, we've never found out where that is. So it may be this commentator is correct that it's to an extent kind of an arbitrary decision, the location of 
Yes, yeah, it's a, it's a similar, and we'll come back to that, that, that point momentarily, that there are a number of times where the Torah is not clear. You know, sometimes the Torah is so explicit about a pre- particular location. It gives you not just location, you know, in the beginning of Devarim, right? We read this together. It tells you like 15 different, uh, what do they call it, uh, you know, on the map, the different, uh, whatever, the, the different places around so you can know exactly where this conversation took place. The Torah is not anti-geography. There are many places where it tells us exact, precise locations, and there are times potentially due to the holiness or due to different calculations that the Torah shies away from giving us locations. And that's the, the Malbim suggesting. And not only did over here, did it shy away from, but yes, Sinai is one of the places where, although it, there it's tricky because it does give us a location. It doesn't tell us where, where, you know, where is Sinai? You know, we know it's on Har Sinai, but we know there's a Sinai desert. We don't know which mountain it is. And, you know, another example perhaps would be where Moshe is buried, right? We're told it's on a mountain, but it's very vague in terms of where there the Torah says. No one knew where he's buried, right? So there's a sense of mystery of location sometimes, um, you know, which, which, which could speak to, to a broader uh, idea, if I may, uh, you know, in Judaism, which Judaism is not so focused on space. Um, it's much more focused on, on time, on, on, you know, we, we focus much more on the holiness of time. Like Shabbos is holiness in time as opposed to holiness in space, Right? In Judaism, there's much more of an emphasis on how we sanctify uh, things which are almost abstract, the things which are not based on location. And we do see a couple of places where that, that pattern, pattern is found. So again, let's just quickly summarize. Uh, what we have over here is we have a couple of different, we have two questions we're really dealing with. Why is Yerushalayim so significant? And why is the Torah silent about Yerushalayim? So to the first question, we could say, why Yerushalayim is so significant? One approach is, it's because of the spirituality, the history of the spirituality in that place. Alternatively, due to security reasons. According to both those approaches, Yushalayim was always the place that we were supposed to be, the capital. It was always the place where the temple, where the base of Migdash was supposed to be built. So if that's the case, why is it not mentioned explicitly? So there you have Maimonides, the Rambam's approach, either to prevent the enemies from uh, protecting or destroying the lands, or to ensure that there isn't infighting. Okay, that's one general approach. The Malbim's approach is, you know why the Torah doesn't say, you know why Yerushalayim is important? It's not. There's nothing intrinsic about Yerushalayim. You know why Yerushalayim was chosen? It was chosen because it was understood that it's a place which could really bring the Jewish people together. That's its holiness. Its holiness is the unity that it engenders because it had took the two leading groups of Israel and brought it under, under one, one roof, one location. And to the question of why Yerushalayim is not mentioned in the Torah, because it wasn't yet chosen. There wasn't yet a Yerushalayim. There was a location, but it wasn't yet chosen as the place. Okay? I'll just mention what, parenthetically, you know, in the academic world, the non-religious academic world, uh, there is a lot of discussion about this book, Devarim, that we're studying right now. Um, and we spoke about this briefly in our first class on Devarim, and that is that there are those who observe that the language found in, Yushal- in, in Devarim, the, 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 the language, sounds very different than the language in the first four books. Right? So I'm sure many of you heard that, the documentary hypothesis, and this idea that there are different quote-unquote authors to parts of the Torah, and parts of them come later. Again, these are all ideas which are uh, you know, heretical ideas. We believe that Torah all comes from God to Moshe, um, but, but it's, it's true, and we spoke about one approach to this, it's true that the language in, in Devarim is different than the language, like the terminology that's used is different than the language that's found in the first, in the first four books. But there's been a long-standing discussion among academics and, 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 and our traditions, uh, you know, supports to demonstrate why it really is one author. We're not going to get into all that. But one interesting thing, uh, Shadal, he's known as Shadal, or uh, Lutzato, uh, who was, uh, was a, a rabbi in the early, uh, earlier part of the 20th century, um, he points out that those who argue that the book of Devarim was written at a later point, they argue that it was written 
um, in the times of the prophets, meaning after the Davidic line was already rolling, after it was already in, in place, um, the, the, you know, that, that's, when, that's when this book was written. Okay? That's the argument that Zavarim is written hundreds and hundreds of years later than we assume it was written. That's their assumption. He points out that if that was so, according to those who argue, that, again, heretical idea that it was written at a later point, what's missing then you know, is Yerushalayim. Meaning all the reasons we gave as to why Yerushalayim would not be mentioned in Tevarim only makes sense if Yerushalayim was not yet given to the people or was not yet chosen. But if it was written, if the book was indeed, as they argue, was indeed written after the Davidic line was already in place, right? Then what's the justification for not including Yerushalayim as a city by name? We'd have to come up with a new reason, which we haven't seen yet, right? But it's shocking. You know, all these reasons explain why Yerushalayim is not there. But according to those who say that Tavarim comes later, it's shocking. It's, a, I would argue, like, a, you know, a strong question uh, against, this, against that, that, that approach because Yerushalayim should have been mentioned by name. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Okay. So let's just see one, one, last, uh, one last point. Uh, I was just made it earlier about, about the notion, um, about the notion of, of, of Yerushalayim not being mentioned by name. And as I, as I alluded to a moment ago, this is really a pattern. So you look under the source of pattern, and this goes back to the binding of Isaac, right? So what do we see by the binding of Isaac? Look under Bereshus 22. So by Hiachar Hadvarma Ela, Velokim Nisas Avraham. So this was after these matters, and God tested Abraham. Vayomri Elav, and he said to him, Avram, Vayomri, and he said, Avram, and, uh, and Avram said, Here I am. So what is the message to Avram? Vayomri said, Kachna es bincha es Take your child, your beloved one, Asher Havta, uh, your, your single one, Asher Havta, who you loved, Es Yitzchak, Isaac, Velech lecha l'eretz Moria, okay? And bring him to the lands of Moria, okay? A general province. Valeu shem and bring him up as an offering. Al-achad haharim, Asher Omar lecha. And one of the mountains, which I will tell you, Again, you see this strange pattern where God doesn't say explicitly, this is where you need to go, right? It's strange, right? It's similar to what we're just seeing over here. Instead of saying Yerushalayim, right? Um, God says, on a place that I'll tell you, when uh, the binding of Isaac, one of the features, one of the details is, you know, that we don't think about is Avram is walking around almost aimlessly. Avram was never given clear instructions. Imagine I told you, I wanted to meet up with you in, Colo- in, uh, in Colorado. I'll see you there. That's insane. Right? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Colorado is a really big state with a lot of really large mountains, right? I mean, that doesn't make any that, that is what Avram was told to do. Go to this area, and that's where it's going to take place, right? But, but where? He's meant to walk. He's meant to find it, right? Similar to, it's, it's, again, it's that idea where the place that we have is not mentioned explicitly. And I'll just mention this one, this Sifre over here, uh, one of the Midrashic teachings, which, uh, which speaks out this idea, which, which I want to finish with. He says, and it goes back to the verse that we started with. When, when the Torah describes the Jerusalem, without calling it by name. It says, again, in the bold, it's the place which the Lord your God will choose from all your tribes. Okay. Should you wait until the prophet tells you where it is? You should seek him at his dwelling and you should come there. Meaning, Drosh umotse. Seek him out and find it. And afterwards, the prophets will confirm it for you. So what does this mean? What this means, and I think there's a general point that really comes out of this, that when it comes to our spiritual goals, you know, sometimes we love for things to be crystal clear. What am I supposed to be doing with my life? I hope you ask yourself that question from time to time. But no one's tapping you on the shoulder and saying, this is what you're supposed to do. This is it. 
right? I wish. It'd be nice if God would tell me. I would, my life would be so, all my, my inner angst would be gone, right? I, I don't know. I'm constantly, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing with my life, right? Um, it, we need to be asking ourselves these questions, right? But, but, that, but that's exactly it. When we talk about these spiritual goals, you think about the binding of Isaac taking place wherever it took place. You think about the building of Yushalayim, the building of the base of English. God says, you figure it out, and then I'll eventually I'll come to you. Derosh, right? You need to seek it out. And then I will meet you there. That's what took place in the binding of Isaac. That's what took place in Yerushalayim. And I think that's what takes place in our lives, right? Unfortunately, even Avram, even David, even Moshe was not always told everything explicitly. We are obligated to look in the mirror and to ask ourselves piercing questions and to move and to search and to walk and to climb. And hopefully, hopefully with time, we'll eventually come to a place where we'll resonate, we'll feel God telling us, even if it doesn't say it explicitly, we feel I'm in the right place or at least I'm on the right path. And that is perhaps the global idea that I would like to take out of the inexplicit or the non-explicit mention or lack of mention of Yishalayim is it's really a global idea of our need to pursue without always knowing what the destination is. But that doesn't mean we should wait until someone spells it out for us. We are obligated to seek and ultimately, God willing, we'll be able to find Hashem. We'll be able to find God in that place. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you for a great run of, uh, of, of time learning together. And again,